So the, the, the holiday season, the Christmas season, is one where you have the idea of drawing names, where you draw a name out of you know, a hat or an envelope, and you, you see who you're going to give your gift to, your white elephant gift or your gift exchange or, or whatever. Um, and another idea about names is that we often want to drop names um, so that we know somebody important. I'm kind of guilty of this. Make sure everybody realizes I'm, I'm cool as I'll drop names um, of friends and and acquaintances. Um, but we want to talk today uh, about what's in a name and, and the power of a name. And we're, we're going to look at um, two examples from the Old Testament and an example from the Christmas story, and actually three examples from the Old Testament and an example from the Christmas story in Luke, and talking about what it is that the power of a name has and how a name can shape and mold us and kind of set us on a course. Um, so we're going to say the, the question I'm going to ask you is, you know, if you ask what's in a name, and you need to say everything. I mean, my, my full name is Jonathan Van Porter. Um, I always thought in junior high it was cool that I had Van Porter, and I would say it would be like Van Halen, but it's Van Porter. I need to start a band. That's not kind of why I was named that way. But my, my grandfather on my dad's side was Jonathan, and his father was Jonathan. And so the, uh, I don't know if it was a contest or a race, but the first grandson on my dad's side, the Porter's side, was going to be named Jonathan. I have an uncle that was named Jonathan as well. So I'm it. So it was never, never, a, uh, never a doubt that my first name was going to be Jonathan. My middle name was Van, which was the, the prefix taken from my grandfather's um, name, Van Osdal. He was Dutch, and there's, there's reasoning behind that. So that's my name, Jonathan Van Porter. It gets said when I'm in trouble, mostly by my mom, um, or when I have to apply for something through the government. But that's my name, and sometimes names can be incredibly powerful. Anybody know of a guy named Johnny Cash? Johnny Cash sang a song called A Boy Named Sue. Now, Johnny Cash did not write A Boy Named Sue. It was actually written by the poet Shel Silverstein, but Cash made the song famous, and he recorded it live at Folsom Prison. And you see the prisoners watching as the song goes. I'll give you just a verse on this. Well, I grew up quick, and I grew up mean. My fists got hard, and my wits got keener. Roamed from town to town to hide my shame. But I made me a vow to the moon and the stars. I'd search the honky-tonks and bars and kill that man that gave me that awful name. Now, you've heard the song, maybe. If not, you'll listen. It's kind of humorous. One thing I noticed, though, is when you're watching the live version of it and Johnny Cash is singing it, you can see these prisoners in, in Folsom, and they're relating to it. And the whole idea behind why this, this man called uh, his son Sue, there's nothing wrong with the name Sue, but it's just really terrible reasoning. The, 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 the father left uh, Sue and his mother when he was a real small child, and I think he knew that he was going to leave him. He knew that he wasn't going to live up to his being a father, so he named him Sue, and his reasoning at the end of the song was, I named you Sue so that you could grow up tough so that you could survive all this, which is really, really a lousy reason to do that to somebody because all he would have had to do is stick around and be the dad he needed to be. But that name haunted this young man for years. Made him who he was. Those of you that are readers or, or uh, like C.S. Lewis, he had a, a series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia. And 
The first book being The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the second one being Prince Caspian. And um, in the book Prince Caspian, the, the, the Provenci twin, the Provenci family, the children, are back in Narnia. They've been gone for a while, and things have changed. There's a darkness that's kind of settled over the land. And uh, they were used to a Narnia where all the animals talked and all the animals were friendly. And, and so Lucy, the youngest, goes up to a bear, a literal, literal bear in, in the book, and wants to say hi and pet it. And the bear turns and almost attacks Lucy. And this character, Mr. Trumpkin, um, he saves Lucy. And Lucy goes, what's up with the bear? They're not like this. And this line comes from Prince Caspian. It's one of my absolute favorite, and I think it has a lot of power to it. Trumpkin says this about the bear. You get treated like a dumb animal long enough, and that's what you become. So what's that got to do with, with us and the power of names? Sometimes we get stuck with names. Sometimes we stick others with names that try to define and control them. Um, sometimes we get stuck with names that hurt. Sometimes we change our names on our own. And sometimes our circumstances gives us a nickname. And sometimes those names that we give ourselves that we never say out loud, but this is how we address ourselves, are names like broken and defeated and damaged or maybe divorced or struggling or fired or downsized or rejected, even bitter. There's power in names, and there's power to what we assign as a name. And I want to look at that today in reference to our scripture that we read from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, but I want to start back in another story in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 37, and it is the start of the story of Joseph. And we're not going to read all of Joseph's story because it's a long one. I'll give you the synopsis. Joseph was hated by his brothers. Um, Hated so much that all but one of his brothers wanted to kill him. Now, some of it was Joseph's fault. Joseph didn't know when to not pipe off and, and aggravate his brothers. And, and there was favoritism. Joseph's father loved Joseph more and showed that, and the others realized that. But Joseph's brothers literally hated him and wanted to kill him, all but one. Um, they, they were plotting to kill him, and, and the one brother, Reuben, says, Hey, you know, let's not kill him. Let's throw him down a well. Now, the idea was not that he really wanted to help Joseph. He wanted to, to work an angle to where he would go back and rescue Joseph and gain favor with his father. But they do that. They, they throw him down the well. And then when that didn't pan out, they sold him into slavery. And Joseph is sent as a slave into Egypt where he is exiled. While he's there, he, he, he works and, and he, he gains some favor. He's, he's in Potiphar's, the king's house. And while he's there, he gets imprisoned on a false charge of rape. And things are looking bad. I mean, poor kid. I mean, his brother's hating him. He's been left for dead, all this, that, and the other. Now he's in jail on a trumped-up charge. It would be easy to think that Joseph would have held God responsible for the hardships he faced. Wouldn't it? I mean, if anybody had a right to say, God, why did you let this happen? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why, whoa, whoa, whoa is me? It would be Joseph. But Joseph didn't. We all have circumstances in our lives. We all have things that have not gone on the way we planned. This year in itself, in a nutshell, is the epitome of this. Did anybody figure that 2020 would look like this? 
Nobody did. But that's the thing in this continuity and this thread in our lives is none of our lives in this room have worked out exactly as we had planned. None of our lives in this room have been as we would have had written them. There's been bumps. There's been celebrations, yes, and great things to give and rejoice and be thankful for. But there have been hardships. There have been circumstances. There have been things that weren't on the script. And those things, after a while, can start to weigh on you. And more than that, they can define you. And Joseph had every reason. The dysfunctional family. He's in prison. He's being mistreated. He had every reason to blame and resent God. But Joseph didn't. I love in Genesis, in the, in the story of Joseph's life, there's a couple times where Joseph would go through some of the most horrendous events, but there would be a line that would say, and God was with Joseph, and Joseph was with God. There was this relationship, and because of that, even while waiting through hard times, Joseph persevered. Now, I do have a point. <laughs> I do have a point to this. So it wasn't so... My voice changes, I get to lead worship, but until it does, I have to just preach. Um, while he was in Egypt and things got better, Joseph actually gained great favor with the government, and he was given a really good job, and he made really good money, and he married a local girl, and they had two sons. And the naming of the sons, it's kind of a big deal. I mean, when we named our girls, we, we, we wanted, I wanted to... Uh, Kim and I, when we talked about naming, we wanted to name our girls like characters from a, a Jane Austen novel. So we have old school. We have a Mary Catherine. We have an Emma Marie. We have a Rebecca. We have these just solid old, you know, I'm not against any other. I just like these names. Like we, and, and by the time we had Emma, the second one, I knew that I would never have a boy. So when, when we went to the hospital for Rebecca's delivery, Kim goes, should we think about a boy's name? I was like, why? Why bother? It's, it's going to be a girl. It's going to be a girl. And sure enough, and blessed because of it, but each one of their names means something to me. And, and Joseph was the same way. But Joseph even took a, a really cool step farther. While he's in Egypt, Joseph fathers two sons, Manasseh the first and Ephraim. And Manasseh means, literally means, forgetfulness. So after all these years that Joseph is a prisoner, he's been mistreated, he's been not loved by his family, sold off into slavery, all these bad things that give him a reason. I mean, if anybody had a reason to call their first kid Sue, it'd probably be Joseph, but he didn't. He called him Manasseh, which means forgetfulness, because God had made Joseph forget all the previous pain and trials in his life. Keep that in mind. The second son's name was Ephraim. Ephraim means blessing or fruitfulness. Now think about this for a reason. If, if anyone had a reason, or think about this for a second. If anyone had a reason to hold a grudge against family or circumstances or God, it had to be Joseph. But Joseph chose differently. Do you think about this for a second? Every time that Joseph stands out on the porch and he yells for his boys to come home. Manasseh, Ephraim, it's time to eat. Manasseh, Ephraim, it's time to come in. He is reinforcing the idea that God had helped him to forget all the pain in his past life. And God had blessed him. Those names meant something. They meant something. Every time. 
every time he mentioned those boys' names. Now, here's the lesson. And there's one. There's kind of little lessons. I'm trying to pin together a couple different ideas here today. But here's this first lesson I want you to get. And this is about how we live our lives. Because all of us want to be blessed. And all of us want to be fruitful. And all of us want the things. But I want to give you this analogy. And it's not a very pleasant one to look at. But I want you to think if you... <clears throat> excuse me, if you went to the world's best buffet, remember a time when they had buffets and there was just rows and rows of food and people would fill their plates? Okay, that may happen again, it may not, but I want you to remember when it did. Uh, a buffet, right? And if you go to the buffet and, and, and you want to have all these things you eat, but you go up to the buffet and you are holding the rancid, rotting refuse of yesterday's meal on your plate with all the mold and all the junk and all the smell and it's right there on your plate and you've got both hands full you can't put anything new on your plate can you you can't replenish you can't because you're holding on to this nobody keeps their garbage right here's my point we all want to be blessed we all want to be fruitful but we can't be Ephraim Fruitful and blessed. We can't be Ephraim until we first call out Manasseh. We can't be fruitful until we are also forgetting. And the only way that we can be forgetting is if we are forgiving. So there's a reason that that order went the way it did. God has helped me forget. And because God has helped me forget, I realize now that I am blessed. And I don't have to hold on to it. Anybody hold on to a grudge in here? Boy, I can. Anybody? Like, if you're Joseph and you're like, hey, Potiphar's wife, one of these days I'm going to get back at her. My brothers, are you kidding me? I get a chance to see my brothers. It's all over. Every one of us in here has held on to a grudge longer than we should. And holding on to a grudge is the epitome of ingesting poison, thinking that you're going to kill the other person. It's not. It's hurting you. And Joseph realized this, and he realized the power of the name, so he wanted to make sure that every time he called for these boys, he would remind himself that, hey, God has helped me forget, and he has blessed me, even while waiting. So here's the second one. We're going to talk about Mary here in a minute. And one of the variations of Mary's name in the Bible, it has different alliterations and, and, and variations. One of the variations of the name Mary in the Bible is the name Mara, M-A-R-A. And in the book of Ruth, Old Testament, we are introduced to Naomi. Naomi is a loving wife, a loving mother. She's got two sons that she adores, a husband that she adores. And she has people that look up to her and want to be like her. And we're introduced in that first chapter, and in the first 20 verses of the book of Ruth, in the first chapter of Ruth, the first 20 verses, Naomi, who, by the way, is also in Bethlehem, loses everything. Loses her sons, loses her husband. She has no one that's going to take care of her. She has no family anymore. And she makes this statement. She tells everyone around her, she says, call me Mara. And she did that because she had lost everything. And she did that because Mara means bitter. 
That's what she, I'm bitter. My life hasn't turned out the way I wanted to. I had things taken away. I'm bitter. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Mara and Mary are the same names. And it carries. Let's jump ahead to the New Testament and the Christmas story. In Luke's gospel, the first chapter, verse 26 to 28. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, last week we said that that lineage that we read, that's important. And this name is important. Joseph's name is important. The house of David is important. This name is important. Names are important. Because they denote and they tell you and they give you status. Names are important. Reading on, the virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings. I need to see what yours says. Greetings, O favored one. The NRSV says favored one. Same thing. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Let me reiterate this from something I said earlier. Sometimes we get stuck with nicknames that hurt. Anybody had a nickname that hurt? Maybe it wasn't even a nickname. Maybe it was just somebody that they, you know, they, they classified you as this. And it hurts. Sometimes we get stuck with nicknames that hurt. When we're hurt, hurt people will hurt people. People who are bullied will bully others. Sometimes we give names to others to try to prevent them from hurting us first, so we hurt them. Sometimes we change the names on our own because we don't think we're that good. We don't think we're, we're worthy. And like I said, those words can be broken. Those names could be defeated, damaged. All the things that make up our past, maybe it's divorced or struggling or fired or downsized or rejected. Maybe it's even bitter. Maybe the name isn't something that we call ourselves or we write on our stationery, but maybe it's something that internally we just say this is who we are. And go back to our verse. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, verse 28. And he came to her and said, greetings, Mary. He didn't say that, did he? He said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And here's why I think he did this. Because God never addresses us by the name whether it's real or imagined, that our circumstances or we have given ourselves. God will never announce addict, sinner, thief, adulteress, loser. He never does that. But that's how we identify ourselves and that's how we identify others with what they've done wrong. And in doing that, it puts them in this little box or this confine that they can never be. You'll never be more than this. Because this is your name. But God refuses to do that. He never addresses us by the name, real or imagined, that our circumstances or we give ourselves. He addresses us as he sees us. 
The angel greets Mary and refuses to call her by her given name, which means bitter, because you're not bitter anymore. He didn't call her bitter. Do you think Mary had a reason to be bitter? Can you imagine at the, uh, at the J.C. store in <laughs> Galilee, Nazareth, all the talk around the checkout counter? There's, there's Mary. There's Mary. She's pregnant, and she says, kid is God's. Yep. You don't think that didn't happen? You know it happened. Because it still happens. There are people in your life, in your circle, that refuse to identify you by anything other than your worst day. And let me give you a little... Floyd Van Osdall wisdom. With those people, it's mind over matter. You shouldn't mind because they don't matter. Because God sees you as he sees you. Fearfully and wonderfully made. The plans that he has for you. He sees all these things. And he comes in this moment knowing that there will be times before that are to come where Mary is going to just feel like she's the outcast and wondering what she's doing. And then maybe looking at the history is why, why did you give your kid the name that means bitter? And how can God restore that and reclaim that? But he didn't call her bitter once. He called her favored one. Whatever your past, whatever you've done, whatever the name that you give yourself or others have given you, I just want you to leave today. If you don't hear anything else and nothing else makes sense, I want you to hear this. When God sees you and addresses you, he calls you favored one. He calls you favored one. Isaiah's passage that we read from Isaiah 9, 6, 700 years before the gift was ever given. Last year we talked about how it was 600 plus years. This is 700 years before the gift is even given. Isaiah is taking us back through history because God is specific about what we need and what he is going to give us. And he gives that gift a name. Like we always ask people this time of year, what do you want for Christmas? And we don't go back 20 years and go, well, 20 years ago, here's what I knew you were going to need now. Right? We don't, we don't do that. But God's like, 700 years, here's what you're going to need. Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Oh, can we stop there for a second? Church, God's got this. He's always had this. This is why he says it here. Whether this was going to be in the first Christmas in Bethlehem or 2020 in Milan, Indiana, the government is still on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You break that down a little bit, you realize that for unto us a child is born. I mean, 700 years later, that message is repeated by the angels in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. And when he says to, a son of, to us a son is given, it echoes Jesus' words in John 3, 16. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And the government, look at Matthew 28, 18. God's still got this. 
And then he says that with all these things he's doing, he shall be called. And the word called in Hebrew is the combination of two words. Karah Shrem. And Karah means to address by name. This is who you are. And Shem denotes the position. So look at me, it could be like John, teacher. Cynthia, teacher. You know, what's your position? And when that Shem denotes the position, it also marks the individuality of that person. Well, here's the names given to this gift. He is the wonderful. His first name is wonderful. He is Jesus, wonderful. The, in, in the Hebrew, it is, is Pele, which means miracle. He is the miracle counselor. He is the mighty God in the Hebrew, El Gibor. I mean, geez, he is the God of all champions. He's not just a strong God. He is the God of all gods. And then he is everlasting. That's his name. And his position is that father. He is our everlasting father. And he is the prince. And that's his position of peace. He looks out over the peace. And the text looks down the centuries to the coming of Christ. And in doing so, Isaiah puts two things together. He said there'll be a birth of a child and there'll be a shining of a light. John reiterates that in his gospel when he talks in the light. So run off the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. When you see on Facebook when people post about the birth of a child, a grandchild or, or a nephew or a niece, it's, it's always happy, right? I've yet to see a Facebook post where somebody announces the birth of a child and like, yeah, well, this happened today. Not real proud of it. Duh. You know? Everybody's. You know why? Because the kid's full of hope, right? And so this child produces light. This, this birth of this child that Isaiah's talking about is going to produce illumination. It's going to be a great light to a darkened people. Church, here's how I'm going to land this. We, we live in a world surrounded by darkened people because we live in a darkened world. And part of the reason why the world remains dark is we keep giving each other names and we keep giving ourselves names that have everything to do with who we are before, who we were yesterday, who our last or worst mistake was, and not who God sees us as. And what we need to be this Christmas, and not just 2020, but every year, is that light in the darkness. We are that illumination. And the Son showed us all that we need to know about ourselves and God, everything. He became like us, that name Emmanuel, God with us, walked with us so that we can live without stumbling around in the dark. I mean, what do we do now? How do we live in this time? How do we live in this place? And when we look at Jesus, we see God dwelling among us. And when people look at us, they need to see God dwelling in us as well because that's the hope. We are the wrapping in the package of the present. But we don't do that because we're stuck with names. 
of what we once were and not who we are in Christ. This is the point where God invades our lives. He's uninvited. He's like a blaring light that runs off the darkness. And we all want to know why. Why this happened? Why why do I have this? Why do I have that? I mean, if there's one thing that, that... I feel so inadequate is, is I get to be on the end of a lot of people asking questions about some of the hardest things that have ever happened. Why? And I don't have an answer. I, I don't have the reason. And I really, I really don't want to say something cliched and pat and saying, well, you know. Because I don't have that. And I beat myself up for a really long time, but I'm coming to the point to realize that, you know what? God doesn't give us an explanation of the meaning of life. He doesn't give us the meaning of our lives in particular. He doesn't say, Gretchen, Jeff, this is why you're here. This is why this has played out the way it has. This is what we're going to do from here on out. He doesn't say, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? He doesn't. He doesn't say, Wanda, here's why. He doesn't. He says, here I am. Instead of telling us why, he gives us a son whose name is Emmanuel, God's with us, whose name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You have got to move that from out of your Christmas decorations and into your heart and have it last all year round. Because if not, you don't have a hope in hell of making any sense of this because it doesn't make sense unless he is exactly who he's claimed to be and he is with us. He gives us a son. He doesn't give us answers. He gives us a son. I'll be your prince of peace. I'll be your mighty counselor. I'll be your hope in your future. I know who you are. Because this is who I created you to be. He gives us a son and he calls that son by name. And I end like this. And he calls us by name. He calls us beloved. He calls us favored one. I don't have anything else for you. I think I'm at a place in my life where I just want to keep hammering that home as much as I can. It is dark sometimes. But we are the city on the hill. We are the lamp on a stand. And we have been given this gift, this son, this Emmanuel, this God with us. And he has given us everything that we will need to get through what we are So don't let what we are through and going through change our names. Remember who he calls you to be. Beloved, favored, his. I don't know if you needed to hear that this week. Man, I sure did. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. Add yourself and your spirit to my words where they have fallen short. And let them not be mine, but yours. And Lord, speak to our hearts. 
Lord, for those that are, that are grieving and, and hurting and hiding and just lost and stumbling in darkness, I pray that we be that light. Lord, that we illuminate our path first and we draw others to you as they are drawn to us because they see you in us. And thank you for this gift. It's in your name and for your glory we pray these things. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Um, And stay shining. Stay bright. God bless. We'll see you next week.